I never ride on uh, 29 before, so it will be the first uh, time for me, but I'm really happy about it. The feeling is, is good and it will help me a lot in the technical section. Hey podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 46 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who has a good feeling from riding their 29R. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And I do want to start again with an iTunes review. This is so great. They're coming in thick and fast. Cycle Geek Heaven, five stars from Wiener from United Kingdom. So, so glad I found this podcast. Cycling is all about the tiny details and all too often these details are glossed over. Well, Damien is here to delve into the subjects as we semi-pros want to know about. He is so enthusiastic and really loves the sport and he gets some great guests to interview who aren't just there to push their product. Keep it up, Damien. You'll find me in the Hurt Box listening to your fantastic podcast, Darren in the UK. Darren, wow, that is a great review. Thank you very much for taking the time out to do that. And are you listening to it right now while you're training? Work harder. A reminder to everyone else that if you do like the show, then... I would be very appreciative if you went to the iTunes store and left a review because five stars make me all warm and gooey. Thank you. So the news this week, well, the Giro has wrapped up. i got to say that I felt the last week was not as good as the first two weeks going. Is that correlated to how Cadell performed in the last couple of days? I don't know. I was a little disappointed, but I do have to say that you cannot take anything away from Nibbly, Nibs, Nibbles, the shark. The guy is a dominator, and he absolutely dominated this tour. And from that time trial stage where he absolutely smashed it, and then stage 20 where he won, it was an unbelievable performance in the final week. And definitely, he deserves everything he gets when it comes to being the champion, the Giro champion for 2013. And what else can you say about the guy? He rode with confidence all tour. His team was up the front, smashing it out all tour as well. So they must have really wanted to put it in for him. That must say a lot about his leadership abilities and him just being a great guy. I got to say, I'm a big fan of his after reading a couple of comments that he did in an interview. I'll go through them now. It's him saying, since I left Sicily for Tuscany as a 16-year-old to follow my dream, I've had very strong ethical values instilled in me. I'm happy to be seen as one of the leaders of this new generation, but I don't think I'm the only one in the peloton who holds these values. That's very, very humble from a guy that's just won a huge grand tour and coming out and not claiming that he's the only one that's doing it and he's the new face of Italian cycling. It's really exciting to see someone come out, not necessarily make a big deal on their own, but have a big deal about being a clean rider, being noted, and then putting that back to the peloton and saying, look, we are here, we're working hard, we're not doping, it's a new generation doing new things, and definitely for me that means exciting times ahead. 
You totally rock, man. Keep it coming. You're not going to be in the tour this year, but you're aiming for it next year. So that will be interesting to watch, especially the way that all these young guns are coming up. And next year is going to be hot action as well. But we're not there yet. And I want to talk a little bit about Cadel and Uran. The final couple of days... Uran really stuck it to Cadel in the time trial. I don't know, but he started riding backwards all of a sudden. And the same could be said for stage 20 when it really got hot with only about two kilometers to go. But how long did it feel like they were taking to ride those two kilometers? It must have been so steep and cold and absolute hellish when it came to just getting to the line on that day. It looked absolutely epic. Well, what you could see of it looked absolutely epic. I did read that Cadel is kind of blaming a bike failure towards the end. I'm not so certain he would have got back even if his bike was working. But either way, it's an absolute bummer when your equipment doesn't work. Just ask Bradley Wiggins. So moving on now, the USA National Champs run and won by Freddie Rodriguez, 39-year-old dude. I only wanted to bring it up. Well, other than I know a lot of people would have probably been watching this, but 39, what is the difference now and why are old guys in the peloton absolutely rocking it what's the answer here you know you still have 39 40 41 year old cyclists that are doing well at the top level there's got to be some secret some switch that has changed are these guys that haven't been doping throughout their careers now showing the longevity of staying healthy it's interesting i would like to discuss it more and i'd like to know your thoughts on why these guys are still there after all these years And a quick mention for the round two of the World Cup that was held in the Czech Republic over the weekend. Nino Schurter smashed Absalon by three seconds. Okay, it wasn't a huge win, but it is a win, and it makes up for their dismal race last week where Dan McConnell came through with the win. And by the way, Dan came 18th in this race. So it goes a long way in saying, what the hell happened last week, Dan? It was an absolutely amazing performance by you. And... I'll definitely be following the World Cup. And Beck Henderson came second in the under-23 women's race. Also, something I found on the internet, which the coverage this year seems to be amazing. You can find on YouTube full races in high definition with English commentary, which I just love it. And especially the format of the cross-country eliminator. I've never really seen this format live before until I caught the hour plus clip of the second round and it's pretty fun i gotta say i like the mix up of terrains i like the mix up that the length is a little bit different to a four cross event where it's quite short and still bmxy this has a little bit more to it and the power riders are really coming out and i like the short sharp racing that you get and you can turn around and follow someone without having to know the sport that well so definitely check out the coverage i've got a link to the second round in the show notes After all these years, I guess the um, the key for tapering is being fresh. That is Chris McCormack there. Yes, triathlete Chris McCormack. He made it onto the show because he has a lot of interesting things to say about this week's topic, which is tapering and peaking for optimal cycling performance. Kind of a wanky title, but I liked it. So I ran with it. But As far as him talking about being fresh, it's a really, really important element of tapering and peaking when you are moving towards A events, which I know people are doing right now. And that's why I thought it was important 
to bring it up. I think it's a critical time in your training. It's a critical time to talk about it right now because people should be starting to plan it because races in June, July, this is when you want to be at your best and peaking for these races. And so having the plan moving into those races is going to be very important. So this episode is for athletes that follow structured training programs of some sort. Whether you are self-coached or not, it's really going to help you at the pointy end of the race season. My advice first up, though, is to get your head right. So before you move into this period, a shift in mindset is just as important as the physical aspect of tapering. For me, it's summed up in one word confidence. There isn't a formula and it really, you have to look at all of these factors so carefully of who's the athlete, what's their background, what's their training age, what exactly are they getting ready for and then a big thing that often gets overlooked, what's going to help them believe that they're ready and sometimes I'll do workouts this time of year that I wouldn't normally do just to sort of play to the, the confidence of I've got speed or I'm ready for this or that even if it's not necessarily 100% ideal because if they don't believe in what we're doing and that we're making that progress, we, we won't even if we physically could. Kristen Deffenbach really has a great point there and I do think I have mentioned this before but I haven't played this clip before. It's something I really want to explore a little further and this idea of the importance of confidence is echoed in that last part of the clip where I've paraphrased it here in, if you don't believe in what you're doing, you won't make progress even if you physically could. That is absolutely massive to me, the power of the confidence that you have going into training and your entire plan says a lot about how you will progress. And so you could use this for any part of your actual training program, but I really believe that tapering is when it comes down to it because this is when you need your confidence to be at the max, when you need to be on the line knowing that you've done everything possible and you're ready to take the challenge. Here's why. When you've entered a taper mode, the work's either done or it's not done. So um, you don't you don't try and squeeze that last session in. You trust where you stand and be comfortable, confident, which is very difficult when you're young. Mm-hmm. Be confident in you have what you've got. It's like going to an examination to, a, to when you're at school. You know when the, when you walk into that exam room, you you, you know what you know. There's nothing your friends can tell you. You know, when you used to stand out the front of that exam room and your friends would say, oh, did you study this or did you know this? And you'd be like, oh, I didn't study that. You'd freak out. And they never asked that question anyway. Well, that's the same with sport. You, you be confident in what you have is what you have. And the only thing you can do during a taper is ruin what you have. So the best thing is to maintain and freshen up and, and, and back yourself. The key to that, finding that feeling race day is backing yourself, not standing on that start line going, oh, oh man, I didn't do enough, or geez, he looks fit. Or it's like, you know what, I have what I have, I've come, for, I've come to battle, I've come for war, let's go. You know, like, what have I got to lose? And, and I know it's easy to say that, but after all these years of race, I stand on every start line now. Yeah, sure, there's apprehension and nerves, but I just sit there going, you know what, I've got what I've got. Made the best person win, and I'll tell you what, if you're going to beat me, I'm going to hurt to do it, you know, like you're going to have to hurt to take it off me and, and if your body's ready for that battle and you're mentally prepared for that battle, you know, you tend to get into that zone much easier with that mindset. It's a really nice way of putting it where the work is either done or it's not done. Bam, that's it. So there's two parts here that are important takeaways for the mental side of a taper. 
Remember this when you're moving into your final block. Make it count. Make it quality. This is definitely where your winning race fitness is built. It's built in that last block before you move into the taper. So go into every single training session knowing that once you hit your taper, you can't do any more. So no more fitness can be built or will be built from that point onwards. So build it while you can. And you may be in this period now. I know I'm in this period right now where I know that every single every single training workout that I go out to do right now is going to be the fitness that carries me through for my event. Going back to Kristen's point, what will help you believe that you are ready? I got a passage here taken from Joe Friel. Yes, we all know who Joe Friel is, don't we? Yes, okay. So the basis of training structure for the peak period is to simulate the intensity of a portion of the targeted race every 72 to 96 hours until seven days before the event. To do a simulation workout, you select a segment of the event that is critical to your success and practice exactly how you would gauge output, so power or pace, and input effort and heart rate for that segment. For example, there may be a hill on the course that is critical to how well you perform on the day. Find a similar hill, warm up, and then simulate the intensity you plan to use in the race. Or it may be that the course is flat and you need to maintain a specific intensity to reach your goal. Rehearse that intensity in each of the simulation workouts. That intensity could be based on heart rate, pace, power, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. So if you do a race simulation every 72 to 96 hours in the peak period, what do you do in between? The two or three days between workouts, you do short, easy recovery workouts or take a day off. The idea is to be fully recovered and ready to go again for the next simulation. This idea it has a two-prong effect. Okay, there is a physical element to this, which we will get to in just a moment. But the mental element of this is knowing, like we talked about last week with race plans, knowing where you are strong, knowing that you've trained the specific elements, and knowing what's going to go down in your brain when you hit these hard elements. So when you hit the hill, and you know where you have to be in the bunch, you know how hard the effort's going to be, you're specifically training this so it's fresh in your mind and your legs and you're ready for it. I know this is the build-up that gives me confidence going into races. I know that simulating the hills and working hard at just doing hard efforts on hills before races gives me the confidence to know that when the shit goes down, I am able to be there and hold on and really go deep where it counts. Is this something that will help you? Where can you look inside your events to find these actual places that you can train your mind and your body when you are in your taper? I've also got to say here that I really believe that a big part of confidence is the ability to be realistic. So to truly know yourself and know what you're capable of, whether this is from past performances, your performance potential, natural ability, or just your motivation to do well, being realistic with yourself at this time when you're starting to prepare for your taper and you're thinking about the actual race is going to give you confidence to know that you've done enough when you have to stop the fitness element. So when you actually stop the fitness element, what is it that's going to make the difference in your mind and push you further than you have before in order to get the race result you want? So that's kind of the mental aspect dealt with a little bit. Yes, there's other elements like when you're doing, say, practice races where you're practicing and you're testing equipment and warm-ups and, and all of that element 
And I do think that's important, but I, I just I didn't want to mix it in all together here because I see that there's really two distinct sides of tapering and really getting that optimized performance. And that's the physical side and then the mental side and the confidence leading up and then the actual mental performance is most definitely where I see that the mental focus should be. And now we need to look into the physical side. So what's happening actually on the physical side? And so let's talk about taper length. The length of the taper really depends on how fit you are coming into the peak period. The more unfit you are, the more important it is to continue training and create higher levels of fitness until perhaps as little as 7 to 10 days before the big race. This is where I'm saying as far as fitness is concerned, at some point you're going to have to draw the line and say, no, I'm not working on fitness anymore. So working through experience, working down and writing down where you change your mind and where you change your training is really going to help you hone it, not necessarily the first time you do a taper, but the second and third time, the other times that you're doing it, especially if you have a couple of opportunities during season to kind of hone this. But what it really comes down to is a judgment call and balancing that confidence building versus riding harder and a little longer to give you the mental boost then maybe compromising the actual taper itself. So understanding the trade-off could also help you make a call when enough is enough. And if you can recover in time, stopping seven days out would be the absolute minimum that I would be aiming for. This comes down to the art of coaching though, and this is where I've got to say a coach would be super helpful. One that's done this before has been reading the signs of recovery and fitness creation throughout the build-up to this point, and then they should have an idea of what needs to be done to get you to the race line with everything firing. The especially difficult part here for semi-pros is managing all of your life in the lead-up to the event, not just the riding and the sleeping. Other factors will creep in, such as just life in general, whether it's work or family events or whatever it is, these things that do get in the way. So this is where keeping an eye on your numbers and listening to your body and how you're feeling through this process plays a really big part in it. And while we are talking about taper length, there are some general rules that it comes down to. I have read some scientific papers that say that there is no direct relationship between the length of the event and the length of the taper. But then on the other hand, I have read that it does. So it's like anything, it's really just going to be what works for you. And here are some general guidelines which you can kind of work off. And it's more along the lines of long races means long tapers, high fitness means long tapers, injury-prone athletes should taper longer, and older athletes need longer tapers. So just keeping this in mind when you are thinking about tapering will help you set a benchmark for you to start from. Right at the start of this segment, we heard Chris McCormack talk about being fresh, but it's only one part of the equation. There are three elements of physical preparation that you're trying to balance in the last three weeks of your A race fatigue, fitness, and form. You may have heard these thrown around a lot. It really comes down to Joe Friel's original use of these words, and also other big gun coaches use these as well. Fatigue is a measure of how great your workload is in the last few days. If intensity and or duration have been higher than normal in the last few days, then fatigue is elevated. This situation, fitness, will also be high. So you're working on both. So fatigue will be high and fitness will be high. High workload training produces both fatigue and fitness simultaneously. But fitness rises slowly relative to fatigue. 
Three hard workouts in three days will produce a lot of fatigue, but only a very small increase in fitness. Fitness occurs over long periods of time, where fatigue occurs in short periods of time. During the peak period, you're not trying to gain fitness, but reduce fatigue. So this is where the shift has to be made. Again, I'm reminding you a hundred times in this episode that at some point, you're going to have to switch off the fitness element and just focus on the fatigue element. Form is also one of the key elements during the peak period. This has to do with how well your rest is progressing. The more rested you are, the greater your form. You want to have high form, well rested with low fatigue, but must be careful that fitness is not lost rapidly due to too much rest. The trick is gradually lowering fatigue, maintaining fitness at a relatively high level, and steadily increase form. Okay, so that's the trick, but how do you actually do this in practice? I'm going to run through an example, and this is by no means the be-all and end-all. It really is all about listening to your body and perhaps looking at the numbers and how the numbers work and then working those numbers as well. If you're experienced and you trust your instincts, then it's going to be a lot easier than someone that's unsure what to do. So this is really a guideline of the person that's unsure. So if that's you, then perhaps use this as a starting point. Okay, so if we start with two to three weeks before your A race, this is where the race intensity workouts, which simulate the conditions, start. Do these every third or fourth day. These workouts gradually get shorter as you progress through the first week or two of the peak period. With the workouts getting shorter, the weekly volume is also dropping, which is another key element to reducing that fatigue. So that's exactly what you want to happen. It should drop rather rapidly. Something such as 30 to a 50% drop each week is about right. The intensity for these workouts should be at least heart rate, zone 3, tempo power, or moderately hard. Such intensity is the key to maintaining fitness. The two or three days between these race simulations, like we said before, are really just about low intensity, ticking the legs over. So what you're doing is really mixing these two elements, which are intensity and rest, and then this is going to produce the race readiness at the right time. So the actual week of the race, crunch time, what do you do? Well, now you want to emphasize rest even more, but still need to do just a bit of intensity to maintain fitness. Three or four workouts this week in which you completed several 90-second intervals at race intensity for short races, or at least zone three for long races with three-minute recoveries. Five days before the race, do five of these 90-second efforts. Four days before the race, do four times 90 seconds. This pattern continues throughout the week where the easiest day of the week is two days before the race and this is usually a day off or at the most a very short and low intensity session, much like the recovery that you've been doing in between rides the last couple of weeks. The day before should also have some race-like intensity with a very brief session. I would typically do just one five-minute effort the day before just in the zone that I wanted to stick to, and that would pretty much be it, other than a short warm-up and a short warm-down. And like I was saying, there really are a lot of factors that influence your readiness on race day, such as diet, sleep, lifestyle stress. And so thinking about how all these work together and managing those things, it is really going to make a difference to the way that your body adapts to this tapering and how you perform at the end of it. Definitely make sure that you're documenting all of these workouts, how you felt during the race. I'm sure you'll know your race result, but Chris McCormack offers another way to plan your taper. What you're ultimately trying to find at the end of the day is a feeling. Whenever you talk to anybody who's had a 
a great race and you say, oh, what was it? Was it the training or, or what, what happened out there that made you think you were having a great race? And they always say, oh, it's just this feeling I had. It's a great, I just felt good. I, everything fired, everything. So how do you... People always have this certain way to try and find that feeling, so they tend to work backwards from a great race. And you know, I've done it my whole career, I guess, anyone else you talk to about a taper, they've, they've, they've looked at a great race they've had, and then they try and work backwards because they're all chasing that feeling, um, that perfect race day feeling that you've had. So um, I've found over the years that it's not anything in particular. Um, for me, it's about being fresh and uh, the difficulty of, of arriving at an event ready to race fresh without dropping over that fitness curve, you know, because you train so much, your body's always on the upswing that when you tend to, to slow down and taper, that the feeling, your physical feeling, is fatigue and tiredness, and, and that can play havoc on your brain. So you tend to tap some sessions to keep that nice feeling there, but you want to try and pull back and make the body feel fresh. He goes totally 100% on feel. He's never owned a bike computer. He doesn't even know what a power meter looks like. Well, I'm sure he does, but he doesn't use it himself. And so that's a very interesting way to do it, and that is absolute experience talking. We're talking eight or nine years to start getting to that point, but he's been racing for 18, so he's been doing this for 10 years. So this is where I've tried to just skip along a little bit quicker, and if you don't have a coach, then you can start thinking about this. But there are those hard and fast rules about shifting your mental energy before the taper, when to say no, when to cut down, what to do once you've cut down, and then how to go into the final week. Just quickly though, I also want to mention one other factor, which is strength work. And in a perfect build-up, I personally like doing strength work until three or four weeks before an event. And the recommendation for cutting strength work is the last 10 to 15 days before an event to allow for adequate time for the muscle to rebuild and regenerate before the beginning of the competition. This again, if you're in the gym doing strength work, 10 to 15 days is when you have to cut that out entirely, allow your body to recover enough so you can use those muscles to their maximum effectiveness. So to conclude, the ingredients for a successful taper are reduced weekly volume, which is freshness, and an emphasis on intensity, which is fitness. So the key to tapering is keeping workout intensity at high levels while resting more. So moving on now to the tech hacks and product section. This week, it's a hack. It's an oldie, but a goodie. It's road tire wiping. Woo! Do you wipe your tires after you go over some glass or some similar debris? I have used my fingers, gloved palms, and even biddens to wipe down tires. And I've got to say, I've come to this conclusion recently that it is an absolute fail. I don't even see the point of doing it anymore. And I had to think about where I even got it from. And I've got to say, it feels like it's just a habit that's passed down from bunch to bunch to bunch. And not many people even think about it. I came across an interesting article on Sheldon Brown's website of all places. If you know this dude, he was very good at documenting things. He wasn't necessarily a high-performance writer, but I'm not going to bag him for that. And what can I say? They break it down as far as, is there an absolute effect, and are you going to even get it in time when you put your hand on the tire? I don't even think it's possible. And so... My recommendation is don't do it. Don't bother even doing it. I cringe a little bit when I think about just putting fingertips on my tire. What the hell was I thinking? I'm never going to do that again. I'm not even going to bother doing it. I can see 
back in the day that perhaps you were concerned about your tubulars and you didn't want to go to the hassle of getting a flat on tubulars, which are an absolute pain in the ass. But now on, just when you've stopped, check it. So if you're at traffic lights, have a quick check or at the end of the ride or whatever. I think that was probably the best place to check if there's anything stuck in your tires. Other than that, I reckon forget about it. Now, that quote from the top of the show, it's Julian Absalon, the GOAT greatest of all time, of cross-country racing, talking about his new bike. I found it really interesting that he's never ridden a 29er. He's made the change to Team BMC this year, and he's on a 29er. What does it say when the world's best ever cross-country rider is riding a 29er for the first time? I think it's got a lot more to do with money than actual riding. Thanks to the never-ending production in the bicycle market. But that's it for me this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 